Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of James again, we're going to chapter 1 and verse number 17. And um, I'm going to ask the Lord to just touch his word to our heart this evening as we continue a journey that we began a few weeks ago in the book of James. Now this morning, <coughs> I woke up with a very nagging and irritating cough. And uh, I'm not saying that for you to pity me. I'm just going to have pity on you this evening. But hopefully we can get all this warmed up and get going. That'll stop. But if not, if you'll just bear with me, I would greatly appreciate that. I know I'm driving my wife crazy. And... Uh, I'm driving myself crazy. At least I can go to my office and give her a reprieve. But when I get to my office, I'm still there. The problem is still there. Amen. The book of James chapter 1 and verse number 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I understand... Um, that for the most part, to people who have been in church and and um, maybe you've been reading through the Bible a few years or at least reading reading your Bible, uh, this may be a familiar passage of Scripture. But I hope that we can just take a little while tonight and just let the Lord open a few layers of this to our heart and understand it a little better. I'm going to challenge you again. Encourage encourage you. Perhaps would be a better word. Uh, to just take some time and read through the book of James. It's just a, just a small journey, and uh, it will familiarize yourself again uh, with this book as we study it uh, from week to week here. Amen. May the Lord bless you, and you can be seated, and let's just enjoy what the word of the Lord would speak to our heart here tonight. James 1 and 17, a fairly familiar passage of Scripture to many. Another translation of... Uh, uh, this particular scripture says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. Amen, due to change. In other words, every good thing and every perfect gift comes from an unchanging God. Amen. He's always there. Amen. He is exactly always there. And so I am going tonight to be talking about a God whose, whose works are a direct reflection of his character. God is good. I said a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning and teaching on this that the gifts that God gives us are good. And I just had you repeat that a few times. Maybe you remember that. Because sometimes we look at the things that kind of we find on our front porch of life sometimes and we wonder how in the world can any good come from this? 
But you know, if we're patient, many times we do see that God takes circumstances of our lives and he never just takes us through stuff for the fact or the value of taking us through things. But God is always going to leave something in us that's more than we had when we began the journey. The gifts of God are good. His works are good. And God has a purpose and a plan for our life. And that purpose and that plan is good. Everything he made is good. As a matter of fact, he admitted that himself in creation. At the end of every creative day, he talked about the good things. And so everything that God plans for our life has good at its foundation. One of the enemy's uh, tricks, I think, is to convince us that God doesn't truly love us. I found it amazing, as, as superficial as that may sound, or simplistic as that may sound, I have found that to be so universally true in witnessing to people who felt like that God could never love them as much as they have done all the things they've been involved in, et cetera, et cetera, that, that a God that is described in this Bible could never truly love us. And that is an age-old tactic. That was the very same thing that Satan approached Eve with in the Garden of Eden. He suggested to her that God didn't really love her. If he said, you know, in other words, if the Lord really loved you, then he would not for forbid you to partake of anything. You could do whatever you wanted. And, and you know, some things never change. It's an age-old argument. Today, just like in the Garden of Eden, we face the battle of the same two conflicting worlds. Therefore, we need to rest assured in, in two immutable facts, I think, here this evening. And number one is that God has our best interest in mind. Therefore, I should never doubt the plan of God for my life. God has my best interest in mind. And so I, in the middle of the mess, cannot doubt God's plan for my life. The second thing is that Satan never reveals all the cards that's in his hand. <laughs> never, never, never. He only shows you the good. He hides the toxic effect that sin is gonna have in our lives. Those are two immutable facts. God always has our best interest in mind and the devil never plays fair, never. The goodness of God is a great barrier, I think, against yielding to temptation. I feel like we can find that in scripture again and again and perhaps we can talk about that this evening. So since God is good and, and we don't need anything else, including anything that the world has to offer to meet our needs, then I would suggest tonight and submit that it is better to be hungry in the will of God than to be full outside of the will of God. It is better to be poor, destitute, or broken in God's will than it would be to have all the wealth and the influence outside of God's will. I would rather be in God's will and maybe come up short is what this world would call coming up short Amen. David said it this way. He said, I would rather be a house, a doorkeeper rather, in the house of the Lord than to spend one night in the tents of the wicked. Praise God. Amen. God's goodness in the worst of places and God's goodness in the most difficult of times is better than the best that the world has to offer. And I tonight know that I am among some who have been to some pretty dark places in this world and have been down some pretty dark alleys of sin, and you can attest that your worst times with the Lord is better than your best times when you were serving sin. 
But once we ever start doubting the goodness of God, then we start becoming attracted to the offers that Satan and the bait that he throws before us. It's then that the natural desires within us start having influence in compelling us. They compel us to reach out for the bait, whatever the bait may be that he's using to entice us to sin. Moses, Moses warned Israel. What an age-old warning that has been echoed even in this 21st century time and time again. He said, once you begin to enjoy the blessings of the promised land, he said, you need to really take care. It was a very stern and a very forewarning and I think fair warning and I think it is a warning that is as relevant for us today as it has ever been. I'm gonna read for you in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse 12. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of, of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, these next two words, then beware, then beware. Lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So he mentions houses that were full that you didn't fill, wells that were dug that you didn't dig. He mentioned vineyards and orchards that were, that were full that you did not plant. He meant these things, houses full, dug wells, vineyards and orchards are all reasons for us to fight ease and complacency. Amen. So he said, beware that when God brings you into this place to bless you and reward you, that you don't forget the good things that God has done. Amen. It's a warning that we read in Deuteronomy, but it is still very relevant for us today. All the goodness in our lives is, is only ours by the blessing and the provision of God. What we have from God, we only have that because the Lord gave it to us. Amen. Now it that is a point you would not think you would have to debate within the confines of a Christian community, but I can tell you that there, there, are, there are some people that do not believe that what they have is only given to them by the goodness of God. There's some people that are full of themselves enough to think that I am where I am by my own strength, my own education, my own finesse, my whatever, but I believe tonight that whatever we have in our lives is only ours because God allowed it to be there. And I thank him for it. So James reminds us of the goodness of God because he wants to remember that God has better things in store for us, better things than the world could ever offer. And so James presents four facts about the goodness of God, the nature of God. One I've already mentioned, our last lesson, and I mentioned it tonight, that God only gives good gifts. If it didn't come from God, then rest assured at the end of the day, it's not going to be good no matter what it looks like right now, no matter how good it may seem today, if it wasn't God that handed it to us, he meant somewhere along the line, that's gonna taint and tarnish. If you had to step outside of God's will or if we had to step outside of God's direction in order to get what we have, I'll promise you, it's not going to be a good thing. You can't pray for God to bless you with something and then allow that very same something to take us out of the will of God 
and think that God's gonna keep his hand upon that. Amen. I will tell you that at the end of the day, when we have to decide if I'm gonna work a few more hours or be in the house of God, amen, we'd better make our, our mind, I'm gonna be in the house of God. I'm gonna put my... I'm gonna put my shares here. This is where my investment is going to be and then God can bless and take the other and take care of that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? He said, I will, I'll take care of those other things in our life. Amen, so we need to make sure that God is at the center of everything that we do. The flip side of that is this, that if it comes from God, it will be good. Even if we don't see the goodness in it immediately and even if we can't make sense of it right now, if God is the one that placed that in my path, he's gonna use that for my edification. <coughs> Sometimes things <coughs> come in our life and we see them as bad, but God meant them for good. And if we're walking in his will, even in the trials and the storms of our life, good gifts cause us to grow. Amen. <clears throat> Our faith is often challenged and, and um, you know, I, I don't want to just try to throw a bunch of cliches here, but it's really true that there cannot be a testimony without a test. And so if God's going to heal someone, there must, that must be first preceded with some sort of sickness. If God's going to deliver someone, that's going to have to be preceded with some sort of bondage and, and things of that nature. And so we think about Joseph's journey, and uh, it's very, very hard for me to talk about subjects like this without thinking about Joseph. And so when we think about Joseph's journey all the way from a dry well to Pharaoh's court, it is marked all along the way by tragedy and betrayal. It just seems like almost every time his life normalized, something else come along to upset it. Anybody ever found yourself on that ride and you don't even remember buying the ticket? <laughs> and, and, and just about the time life normals out, normals begins to level out, then we find something else that just seems to upend it. Amen, they all seemed bad. It all seemed tragic. It all seemed unnecessary, quite frankly. But God was strategically moving and placing him because you see, the Lord understood where he was trying to take him to. And so things that seemed bad marked each step along the way. But we do find that in the end, God meant it all for good and for restoration. And so by those seemingly bad events, <coughs> God provided deliverance to the seed of Abraham and he brought them in his will to a place where they could be multiplied. In the same fashion, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh and we don't know what that thorn in the flesh would be and you can study till the end of time and come up with your own opinion of that but I think when you're done, it will just be your own opinion. The scripture is kind of quiet on that, I think for a reason but God gave him a thorn in the flesh. It seemed like a strange gift but Paul saw the beauty of that. He saw the wonder of that. He, he understood how God was using his life. And so in his mind and his, in his heart, he balanced those two things out. Secondly, the way that we need to consider the nature of God is the way that God gives the gifts. Always God brings us something in a good way. Amen. The value of a gift, I think, can be diminished sometimes by the way it's given. I get... Uh, uh, um, um, I don't know what word to insert here because I don't mean to be condescending at all but a, a little bit amused but uh, sometimes my wife we're going to go somewhere she always takes someone a gift and uh, 
And, and I just, I get amused at the pain she takes in order to get the gift delivered. The bag, the tissue paper, you know what I'm talking about. And I appreciate that. I'm not being at all. But it's, it's the way you present something that just really matters. You know, sometimes us guys, we just, you know, I'll just say, well, here. <laughs> you know, kind of A, point A to point B, we're here. But there's a great understanding there that it's not just the gift, but it's how the gift is presented, and I see that point. And so when God gives us a blessing, he does it in a loving way. He does it in a gracious manner. And, and what he gives and how he gives it are both good. Thirdly, God gives consistently. James 1 and 17 says that these gifts cometh down from the Father of lights. Cometh down, that's an interesting phrase. The ending of that word in ETH mean it can, means that it continually comes down. Day to day, we come into contact with the good gifts that are coming into our life from the Lord. And they don't just come one time, but they continue to day by day by day. Many, many times we may not understand the gift as a gift when it is first placed in our hand or in our life. Sometimes we don't even recognize them for what they are, but God in due time will bring that to fruition in our life. Fourthly, God does not change. And I am not quite sure in a world that is so full of change if we can really appreciate the fact that God doesn't change. I know for the most part that um, we don't live in a big city like Miami or Atlanta or... Think, <laughs> right. And you think about how every time you pass through those large cities, things are constantly changing. Just because there was a McDonald's at the corner of 3rd and Main today doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow. It can all be torn down and, and something else built and take its place. And, and it's just a world of change. We live in a world of constant change. And so it's hard for us to be able to understand that God never changes. James refers to him as the father of lights. This expression is, is a unique expression in the scripture the reference is to God as the creator of heavenly bodies, the father of lights. Get this, heavenly bodies, the father of lights like the sun, the moon, the stars. The one that created the sun, the moon, the stars, those heavenly bodies, amen, is still there. He is still right there. The word father is to be understood in this in the sense of the ultimate source or the creator of Genesis. There are no shadows with the Lord. It's impossible for God to change. He cannot change for the worse because he's holy and he cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. Amen. The light of the sun varies as the earth changes and that's what gives us night and gives us day. However, the sun itself never stops shining. No matter how much the storms may assail or how many times the seasons may change, the sun is still shining. I uh, remember several years ago being uh, in, in, uh, in, up north for a meeting of some sort and, and it had been overcast. It was in the winter time. It had been overcast for a long time. Uh, the whole time we were there and, 
or the whole time that I was there and, and, and on a flight leaving out of there, it was dreary, cold, and, and as we began to take flight, we pierced through those clouds and the sun, it hadn't gone anywhere. Once we got above the storm, once we got above whatever was hiding the sun, it was still right there. And so storms are gonna come, seasons will change, but the Lord is always the same. Even when difficulties come or temptations appear, we need to learn over time that with each challenge in our life, I can still trust him. He was here for me before and he'll be here for me this time. And so situations of life should not always set us back to ground zero. As we grow in the Lord, we have to understand that in him there is no variableness. And so when God was with me last time, he will be with me this time. If King David had remembered the goodness of the Lord, he would not have committed those terrible sins that spiraled his life out of control. At least that's what Nathan the prophet more than implied in scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number seven. Let's look at this. The Bible says, and Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord, <coughs> thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. <coughs> now watch in verse number eight. He said, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives and into, I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I wanted you to note, if you will, in verse number eight, the repetition of the words gave and given. Amen. God had been good to David, and yet David forgot the goodness of God. He said, I have given you the master's house, and I have given thy master's wives, and I have given the house of Israel. Amen. And he said, and if that hadn't been enough, all you would have had to done is just said something. I would have given you more. Amen. And God had already showered <coughs> David with so many good gifts. Furthermore, he would have continued to bless him. I would give you more and more and more. Amen. So we cannot forget the good things of God. David discounted all of God's goodness to chase after something outside the will of God. It was something that he deemed good, something he deemed necessary. So I would tell you this, I, I grew up hearing this term or terminology like this. If there was no hell to shun and if there was no heaven to gain, this is still a better life. Amen, I wanna just serve the Lord because of his nature. Amen, if we took heaven out of the equation and if we were to take hell out of the equation, I'm thankful to be servant of God of this nature. It is our attitude in the midst of our trials that is so very, very critical. Lord, help me to keep a right spirit. Amen. Lord, help me to keep a right spirit. Help me to keep a right spirit. It was, it was the, a positive attitude of, of, of Joseph. It was a tender spirit of Joseph that helped keep him from sinning when he was tempted to do so. In Genesis 39, 8 and 9, let's contrast this against David and Bathsheba. The Bible says of Joseph that he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. Or in other words, if we were to put this in our language today, he said, my master does not concern himself with what's in this house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. 
There is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph understood where the blessings come from. He understood clearly how I got where I am today. He knew that it was the blessings that had come from the Lord. It was God's goodness, even though it was through the hand of his employer, but it was God's goodness that had brought him to where he was today. Amen. So that restrained him in an hour of temptation. And here's how Joseph looked at it. He said, how could I sin against God? How could I sin against God? He didn't even mention his boss by name. But he said, how? Well, I guess he did. He mentioned his ultimate boss by name. But he didn't mention the natural boss by name. He said, how can I sin against God? And so his goodness compels me to honor him. His goodness compels me to do what's right. (coughs) And so it would do all of us good to consider the goodness of God in our lives. God's gifts are always better than the devil's bargains. Because Satan never gives anything, never gives anything because you end up paying and paying dearly. Just this morning, I was reading an article online about how much the free prizes that are won on TV game shows actually cost. It was staggering. A very interesting read. All of a sudden, you find out after winning this gift that it's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Another thing in the article was this, and I don't want to meander too far here, but I always assumed that if you didn't want that Corvette, you could just get the worth of it in money or perhaps close to the worth of it in money. But you have to take the prize that you were playing for. Amen. And you have to take possession of those gifts on their terms. And there was a, for instance, an actual real, for instance, of a lady that had won a car. She was from somewhere on the East Coast and she was had flown all the way to the West Coast to be on um, a, one of the game shows and she won a car and the car was donated to the game show by a dealership that was several hundred miles, still on the West Coast, but several hundred miles from there. And so she had all the taxes to pay on this real high-end vehicle that she won. She had to come up with that money in cash, and she only had 10 days to do it in, and she had to go to that particular dealer to do it. In other words, you have to do it on their terms. So there is a price associated with it. When I was reading that, I was thinking of the message that Brother Osborne preached about paying the dancer, that while you're doing your own thing, somebody else is signing the check. Somebody else will determine how much and when and how long, etc. And so I thought about that. And so if you were planning to go to the West Coast, I'm just trying to discourage you. <laughs> Amen. And if you, if you don't claim your gift within so many days, in that particular case on that car... She only had 10 days to work all of that out. And if she couldn't work that out in 10 days, then she had to forfeit her gift. And uh, so that was just free. It has nothing to do with our lesson. But I just wanted to throw that in there, that the enemy always sets the price. 
And so it is with Satan's gifts. It costs you far more than it will have ever been worth. And you've heard this many times, but I'll repeat it tonight. Sin will cost you more than you intended to pay. It'll keep you longer than you intended to stay. And just because you're through with sin doesn't mean sin's through with you. But God's gifts are good beyond comprehension. Even when they appear to to cause something, in the end we're blessed far more beyond our momentary discomfort. The blessings of God and the gifts of God are always good. Solomon said in his writings of Proverbs, he said in Proverbs 10, 22, the blessings of the Lord, the blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. That's how God blesses, no sorrow with it. And they're always better off than the things that Satan offers. When when it, the Israelites took Jericho, Achan, if you remember, forgot the warning of God and he also forgot the goodness of God. Instead, he saw the forbidden wealth of that fallen city and he coveted it. Not only did he covet that wealth, that forbidden wealth, but he took it, hid it, he buried it in his tent. So in truth, we could say that for a short span of time, Achan was a very wealthy man. However, the sorrow that followed turned his riches into poverty. Amen, because sin always comes with a tremendous price tag. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come if they would. In a book, in a book I recently read, the author shared something that happened to him and his daughter and I just felt like it was very fitting for this message and perhaps even a fitting way to close. He said, when my oldest daughter was four years old, she wanted a pet. So he said, we had to contrast her desire for a pet against our real world life. And our schedule and where we lived and what they would allow us to have. and So they debated for quite a while about what kind of pet. And so they finally settled on a goldfish. And so she was eager. He came out like a, he came out like a bandit, didn't he? Yeah, settled on a goldfish. She was eager to play with her new pet, but how do you, how do you play with a fish? can't take it for a walk you can't teach it to fetch so the only thing you could do with a fish to play with a fish would be to take it swimming so we went to the swimming pool and we put the fish in a little clear glass of water and we set the clear glass of water cup of water by the edge of the pool he said while we were splashing in our pool in the water I noticed that the fish was watching us he said, in my mind, I figured the fish wanted to get out of the cup and into this vast ocean that the swimming pool must have seemed to him. But I explained to my daughter that I wasn't sure we could do that because there would be chemicals in the pool that would not be good for the fish. For a moment, she was disappointed, but in time, moved on. A little while later, while we were swimming, I was shocked to see that that believe it or not, somehow the fish had flipped outside of the cup and into the pool. He said, I immediately started looking everywhere trying to find him. In a minute, I spotted him in the deep end of the pool, living large, 
darting, darting back and forth. But he said, I knew I had to catch this fish. Then he asked this question, have you ever tried to catch a goldfish in a swimming pool? It's harder than it sounds. After many, many failed attempts, we finally was left with no other alternative but just to wait it out. And finally in time, the fish floated to the surface, belly up. It was all sad, but it was understandable. The glass cup seemed so restrictive while the freedom of the pool looked so vast and enticing. At first, once the fish dived in, it must have felt so right, but what looked like pleasure was in truth poison. The restriction of that cup turned out in the end to be a loving thing, and the freedom of the pool really turned out to be destruction. He said, in like fashion, the seatbelt may cramp our style, but it may save our life. The traffic light that caught us may cause us to grumble, but it may have fended off a terrible collision. God knows what he's doing. He has our life, he has our situation right in the palm of his hand. And I understand that when we are in the middle of the mess and the flames are licking all around our earlobes, it's hard to rejoice over a message like this tonight. But I would, I would just admonish you, not because I'm saying it, but because it's in this holy book. Amen. The next time we're tempted, we need to take a moment and consider the goodness of God. Evaluate our lives and understand that it is God that has brought us where we are. It is God that has placed these opportunities in my hand. Amen. And so I pray this evening that as we conclude this service, I'm just going to ask us if we can to, to gather around the front of this building and just think about and magnify and praise the Lord for the good things that he's brought in our life. Amen. Right now, they may not even seem good, but if we know that God has his hand upon our lives, then I'm going to ask the Lord to hold me steady in your hands and in your care while you work these things out in my life. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together. Amen. We're going to magnify him and praise him, Lord. <coughs> in the name of the Lord Jesus, he's been so good to us. He's been such a good God. He's been such a good God to us. He has brought us blessings more than we could ever, ever dream. God has given us so many good things. I thank you, Lord, for it. I thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.